0: Alan Gerding here. I'm fresh back from Shucks, the Shut Up and Sit Down Expo from Vancouver. I say I'm fresh back, but realistically, I'm not so fresh back. I got a touch of the con crud. Here's the crud. Here's a little paintbrush. Mix it around. My nose, boop. Little touch of the con crud. Anywho, I'm really excited to share with you the live episode that we recorded at Shucks. We had so many great guests people from Shut Up and Sit Down's crew. We had Paul Dean and Pip War. We also had Efka from No Pun Included, Mike Selinker, other designers like Alex Haig and the Palm Court team that made monikers and blah, 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 So many great guests, so amazing. We played games in the episode and I'm just trying to tease you into getting excited about when I can get that episode out to all of you, your knaves and knights and listeners alike. However, when it was recorded live, that means that their team has the audio and I have to wait for that audio to get sent to me. And at that point, I also want to edit it because the truth is there weren't the ideal recording conditions at Shucks. In fact, where we recorded was immediately adjacent to the game hall, meaning you're going to hear people screaming, bingo! Jenga and Eureka and Katan in the background of the recording, perhaps. So I haven't even heard it yet. All I know is it was a super fun time recording. (laughs) We'll also give you the update on what happened in the game of assassination between myself and Lindsay Buttface Road.
1: (laughs) 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 Ha ha
0: ha! Anywho,
1: in the meantime,
0: to keep you tantalized, I have some sound bites from an interview that I did with Brian Henk from Overworld Games, the same team that brought you Good Cop, Bad Cop. Speaking of which, they have a Kickstarter live right now. It's the Kickstarter of the expansion New Salem. And man, let me tell you, I like me some New Salem. I have no reason to shill them out to you except that Brian took the time to be a noble on this episode of the podcast. But sincerely, I would tell you if the game was blowski, but I am excited about New Salem Constable currently on Kickstarter, Yo. Anywho, I will give you a fair warning that our guests sometimes don't have the highest quality audio possible. So Brian's gonna sound a little bit tinny, but I think the quality of the interview and the content that he provides is well worth the tinny quality of the audio. Because Brian, in today's episode, is going to discuss what it is like getting a licensed intellectual property for your board games. That's right, if you're a game designer out there, and you're thinking you made a game, that would be perfect if it took place in some type of intellectual property. Harry Potter, Star Wars, maybe it's John Carter from Mars. I don't know what floats your boat. I'm not judging. Maybe you're a fan of the Aragon, what was supposed to be trilogy, but ended up being four books. I don't know, whatever it is, if you want that license, It's possible to get that license for your game, but how? And does it work? (laughs) Well, let me shut up
1: and get the show on the round.
0: Tuesday Night Podcast, the only podcast in the entire interwebs that is about the stories we make while playing the games we love on-around and even under the gaming table. I'm your host, Alan Gerding, and with me, I have no stranger to the podcast and someone I consider a friend, Brian Hink.
2: Hey, thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, we're definitely friends. We've been doing this together for a long time, hanging out at Gen Con. and...
0: And our booths are usually near each other, too. That's
2: true. Because we're kind of the, yeah, the, I think we probably both started on like the Indie, the Entrepreneur's Avenue or whatever That's is is. exactly
0: it. Yes, yeah. absolutely. In one year, our booths were back to back where if I slapped on the back of my booth, I was slapping on the back of your booth. I remember That's that right. very well. Yeah. And you've been on the show before. You were on a live Gen Con recording back when SBJ was a part of the team. That's
2: right. I forgot about that. That, that is right.
0: This isn't your first time on the show, yo.
2: So who the hell are you? So I, I do all my designs with a partner. My buddy Clayton and I have been making games. We made digital games for a long time under a different company. And those are just like mobile games. They're, they're really tough to like continue to maintain. Like if you make, a, make something for a phone and then there are new generations of phones or make something for the computer and new video cards come out and like... It's just so much maintenance. We figured, why are we spending all of our time doing all the like programming and support and stuff for these games when really we just want to make games. So now we're we switched over around the time that you and Sean started making games too.
0: Yeah, I remember Two Rooms and Boom came out shortly before Good Cop, Bad Cop, which from my understanding is your first Kickstarter. Is that correct? Yeah. Yep. Yep. But hold on. We gotta backpedal a little bit. What is the name of the digital game company that is no more?
2: The one that is no more, it was called Never Made Games. I don't know why, it's a bad name. It was kind of a bad name to use for like a Kickstarter campaign, like do, because we were gonna (laughs) do our first one. never made and people are going to be like are they actually going to make this game or are they just going to
0: take right off? is this just them being upfront about stealing all our
1: cash exactly so
0: you moved into the analog platform as i like to call it, the tabletop games and you made overworld games which still has in my opinion a video game reference to it and in fact your logo is all pixelated so what's the impetus behind that name because you told us why you wanted to move into tabletop but why the name
2: Clayton and I came up with that just because we spent so much of our childhood playing video games together. And that's kind of where like our friendship began. And then we moved into making digital games. It just kind of moved into our board game company. But it has kind of been unfortunate that people keep confusing us for a digital game company when that's not what we are. So we've actually been thinking very carefully about how we might want to rebrand and get ourselves a new logo and possibly even a new company name. So we're thinking about it. Like now that we've been doing this for a while, we kind of know what types of games we want to make. Don't be surprised if you see us making some big changes in that respect in the next uh, year or so.
0: That's pretty exciting. As a fan of your company and your games, they definitely have a strong feel to them. Almost to the point where when I play them, I can say, oh, I can totally tell that Brian was behind this. This is totally an overworld game. Can you give us some plot spoilers behind the scenes as to what names you're thinking about um we better
2: save that we're still kind of deciding and you know then there's anyone else could make a new name and we have to go through trademarks and stuff so i probably
0: right right that's smart because some asshole name that's listening to this (laughs) this may go grab the domain really quick and then (laughs) just bend you over the barrel in order to get it i i see what you're saying yeah Good move. What's the current domain? Overworldgames.com? Yeah.
2: Yep. Yep. But we've made a few different types of games. A lot of them have hidden identities or social deduction in them. Absolutely love it. We've made different sizes of games, different lengths of games. The easiest ones for us to get to the table are the ones that play a lot of people, are super easy to learn and bring out emotion.
0: You son of a bitch, that sounds like (laughs) our model almost exactly, except we like to throw in the pinch of making sure as best as we can, there aren't hurt feelings. We were really hesitant to release World Championship Russian Roulette because it had take that mechanics, which Mm -hmm. I really despise because by definition, it's take that. So we tried our best to make the take that cards where everyone benefits when someone plays it. Anyway, yeah, I I totally, when you came out with Good Cop, Bad Cop, I was excited. And then once you came out with New Salem, which, side note, brilliant, by the way, because when someone pulls out Seven Wonders, the card drafting game, I say, no, thank you. There's so (laughs) many other drafting games we could play. In fact, there is one with hidden roles, New Salem. And New Salem is a game that has hit our table again and again and again. In fact, let's go through your roster really quick. Just correct me if I'm wrong. Your first Kickstarter was Good Cop, Bad Cop. hidden roll game where there's some bad cops amongst the good cops and the good cops are trying to get the mafia boss and the bad cops are trying to get the agent. New Salem... Card drafting game with a hidden mechanic. Basically, who are the witches amongst us? Then you came out with the Good Cop, Bad Cop expansion, Bombers and Traders. Side note again, by the way, my wife is one of the characters in the game. So if you want to see Crystal, she's in Good Cop, Bad Cop. Then Booze Barons, which was really fun. And that wasn't so much a hidden role as it was every single person were hiding what type of... Speakeasy booze delivery, booze baron company they had, and you try to figure out who was with which company. And we actually did a little promo video for you all for Booze Barons, which was a lot of fun. I remember doing that. Yep, yep. Then Good Cup, Bad Cup, Undercover expansion, then Exposed, which is hilarious because that's about looting people on a cruise ship (laughs) and then trying to find where the other players are. Leaders of Euphoria which I want to talk about if we have time, because Leaders of Euphoria has amazing components, but also is Good Cop, Bad Cop with some twists in there and a different theme. So instead of Good Cops, Bad Cops, it's from a Jamie Stagmeyer game. Am I wrong in this? Yep. No, you're right.
2: Yep. Euphoria is game Euphoria. Yep. We use game to... Euphoria. Yeah, we licensed, licensed that from him and built a Good Cop, Bad Cop game around it.
0: And I'm going to totally ask you about licensing later on, because then there's Barker's Row, doesn't have anything to do with licensing. And then finally, Total Recall, which is the first Kickstarter of yours, didn't do really well. In fact, it failed. And hopefully I'm not pouring salt in your wounds by bringing up them sour grapes.
2: We can talk all about it. The other one is the Valiant card game. And that was one that probably didn't make your list because it wasn't through Kickstarter. It was our first game. We didn't use Kickstarter to start. We just put it straight out to
0: retail. Straight to retail. What kind of marketing did you do for Valiant card game then? Because correct me if I'm wrong, I don't remember reading any of your Kickstarter updates from your other games saying, hey, by the way, if you're interested, check out the Valiant card game. Did I miss them and simply delete them <laughs> or did you not tap into Kickstarter as marketing for the direct to retail Valiant card game?
2: No, and that kind of touches on like one place where we kind of didn't do it right with Valiant. But we did some advertising in Valiant comic books. Those didn't come out until after the game was already released. So we kind of missed out on that first month of sales. And we build our company and like kind of how we do our marketing around Kickstarter. Like that's a huge part of it. That's a huge reason to do Kickstarter campaigns. And so we just didn't have that. And it showed in sales. We also made this for the Valiant fan, someone not necessarily who plays a lot of games. It's a very simple game to understand, to play. Valiant fans want to play as their superhero character, fight the villain and do the stuff that they see in the comics. And so we built the game for them. So it it wasn't as much for those who have backed our games. There isn't really much of any kind of hidden identity in there. It's not social deduction. It doesn't, it's not the type of game that our fans would
0: like. How'd you get involved with this then? Did you reach out to Valiant Comics or was Valiant Comics asking for some publishing company to help them out make a game to access the tabletop community? How did this relationship come about? We
2: thought the magic bullet for Kickstarter campaigns was to get a licensed game because you saw some like huge Kickstarter campaigns that did really well. At least they look like they did really well. It kind of turns out that some of them are having a hard time fulfilling. They didn't charge enough for them to cover all their expenses. And it looked like the magic bullet. But now that we've done it a few times, we kind of realize it really isn't as good as it may look.
0: You actually sought out Valiant, then, is what I'm hearing between the lines.
2: Um, Kind of. There are companies who specialize in hooking up licensors and licensees. And so we have talked to a few of those types of companies. And that's how we have gotten most of our licenses. And so that'd be Valiant, Total Recall. And then there's another one, too, that we're working on right now that we're excited about. But uh, those three came through uh, like a a go-between company.
0: Is there almost this menu that they provide you a menu of options and yep. you say, oh, my goodness, Total Recall. I love that movie. And so does every single freaking person that I've ever <laughs> talked to in my life. Yeah. So we can't fail if we just slap Total Recall on one of our games. Exactly. How can we lose? Exactly. It's going to be amazing. Exactly. Yeah, and then just didn't work out. And
2: so we did uh, the Euphoria, Leaders of Euphoria, a good cop, bad cop game in the Euphoria universe. And that worked really well. And then we were like, you know what? This fits the Total Recall universe really well, too. Let's do it again and let's change it. And it's not the same game, it's not just a reskin. Like the game is quite a bit different. Like when you die in Total Recall, you would join the Recall Scientist team, a whole new team who have completely new actions. And are not in the dream, like the Total Recall dream.
0: Right, makes perfect sense thematically. Yeah,
2: so like you're not out of it; you're still in it, and you're trying to. You have a new goal, like a new way to win the game, um, and you're just manipulating the dream from the outside of the people who haven't died yet, haven't been shot in the game. Like it fit perfectly. Such a good game, and it's sad that we we didn't fund and we tried to think of a way to like maybe we just go straight to retail with it, but. We decided, at least for now, we're just gonna
0: put it on the shelf.
1: Catch! Get ready for a surprise!
0: Let me put you in the hot seat for a second here. Mm -hmm. So what came first, the license or the game design? Or was it something of a Venn diagram overlap between (laughs) the two where you had some game in mind and then you saw Total Recall and you thought, oh, with just a few tweaks here and there, we've got ourselves a Total Recall game. Which one came first?
2: Well, we talked to this licensing company and they said the Total Recall license is available if you want to make a game for it. And so then we got the license for it and then we started making the game from that. But making the game, it was like, what game do we want to make? We could have done absolutely anything. A game from scratch you know what leaders of euphoria had recently fulfilled we were just like really happy with how that went and so we just tried to do it again so that's kind of how it happened but if i were to do it over again i would definitely this is another thing where like the people who have backed our previous campaigns they're like i already have good cop bad cop i might have some good cop bad cop expansions I might have leaders of euphoria. I don't need another good cop, bad cop game. And that's kind of what one of the reasons why I believe the campaign failed as well. So I really wish we would have just done
0: from scratch a completely new game in that universe. And I think it would have done a lot better. Next hot question: Do you pay for the licenship up front and it's a done deal? Or are there other contingencies, a timeline in which you're supposed to release the game? Or input they say you can only release it if you use this art, etc. Or is it all contract negotiable? No, it is all
2: negotiable. But most of the licenses work in a very, very similar way, and that is you give them a big chunk of money up front called the guarantee. That can be $500, five hundred dollars, five thousand dollars, fifty thousand dollars. It depends on how big the license is. And that money is theirs. And that is, you give that to them usually upon signing the contract to have the license for, say, three years. So then you give them that money. Then once the game comes out, you would give them royalties, but those royalties would go against that amount of money that you gave them. So let's just say it was $10,000 that you gave them for the license. And now you get $3,000 in royalty. You wouldn't give them that $3,000 that would go against the 10,000 you gave them. And now you, they have 7,000 that you have paid them that royalties haven't been taken from. So then as you keep going, that amount of money gets down to zero. And then at that point, you start giving them say 10% of your sales.
0: Gotcha. It's the same thing when you sign game designers for the most part. If you're a good publisher, you typically negotiate an advance and therefore you don't pay them as the game makes money for that advance because they already have that money but once it goes beyond that advance, like if I give you a $2,000 advance, I don't have to pay you $2,000 until you would have earned more than that and then you start paying off that. Exactly.
2: That can kind of be an issue because they have their money right away. And so there isn't much motivation for them to help you get your game out there. Right. You know, especially in this industry, you're probably not going to make many thousands of dollars in royalties. So they kind of may assume that, like, this is all I'm going to get. So I'm not going to let you do crazy things with our license. You know, like, they'll deny artwork that you submit to them.
0: Oh, they could totally sandbag it is what you're saying. Exactly. So after you sign, they can say, no, we're not approving on that. We're not approving that. So it sounds like you need to have, like, a very ironclad, inclusive contract up front. Yep. that says exactly what you can do with art and yeah. can I use images from the film? The first film, by the way, because <laughs> screw the second one. Let me just say that right now. Yeah, I know that it stars Heisenberg fan Brian Cranston, but even Brian Cranston can't save some turds from sinking to the bottom of the toilet. <laughs> and that, in my opinion, was the second film. But what you're saying is right away, you have to go ahead and make sure that they don't just say thanks for the advance. Right. Now we're going to make it impossible for you to have anything but the name. Exactly. But um, there's
2: also things like um, dates that you have to meet. So like when the Kickstarter campaign would launch, when you start a marketing date, like when you have to start talking about it.
1: Oh, gross.
0: That sounds horrible because my understanding would be you would say, hey, if we don't make any copies or sell any copies in a year or two, the license goes back to you. And I would imagine in my mind when I'm thinking about how licensing would go for movies or anything else, comics, valiant, card game, as you said, it would say you have the license for so many years and then we have to renegotiate or something like that. Yeah, that's
2: basically what it uh, it is too. like it's usually, you know, you might have it for two years or three years and then the, it will return to them after that amount of time.
0: Yeah, but then you're adding in this but you have to exactly. kickstart by this date and you have to mark it by this date, like yes. oh my goodness, Which, talk about it. It doesn't seem that bad you know, maybe,
2: but if you're actually a creator who's done it before, like there's so many things, like you need to play test so many times to get the design just right, you need to get artists and craft designers to complete the art in plenty of time so that you can get it to reviewers in plenty of time to make a certain date and there's just like all these things that really have to come together when you add in another date from the licensor it makes it even harder absolutely you have to start talking about it by this date but we don't have art yet how you know how what are we going to say about it
0: my god this is the double-edged sword because what if you had done all the work before you got the licensing just so you could hit the ground running but then if you don't get that license you just wasted all that time and money and it's such a hard investment man yeah that's such a double-edged sword i've heard that
2: too from from designers you know uh from some designers who who are really like true game designers who pitch their game to publishers just doing it for a license i think is a great way to start you know no matter what if you don't get that license in the end or not it sometimes just kind of helps you you know figure out what people are doing in the game who the bad guys are you know that kind of thing just like it helps bring it all together so
0: here's the question and you've already started alluding to this I want all the advice you can give me the knaves knights and listeners alike about the mistake you made with Total Recall because what you've done is you revealed my ignorance. I did not even realize Total Recall was another advanced version of Good Cop, Bad Cop. So you mentioned that you should have made a new game from the ground up, but is there any other advice, any other lessons that you've learned from your first failed Kickstarter? Yeah. So
2: I think overall, like we also got a little cocky. You know, we had, Eight successful Kickstarter campaigns. Never had a failure before. It's really hard to find time to like do everything to lead up to it, you know, to like get people excited about the game before it comes out. And so some people too were like, what, where did this come from? I haven't heard anything about this. And now it's just like all of a sudden, on Kickstarter. And so like everybody talks about that, like you got to build the crowd beforehand. We got a little cocky that we have plenty of people on our newsletter and from our past campaigns. People are going to want more good cop, bad cop. They're going to want this game. And then uh, because we didn't build the excitement and anticipation for this game, we just kind of put it out there. And then we find out that our fans, they don't really want another good cop, bad cop game. And so I think that was part of it. The other thing I think is with the art, because art is so important on Kickstarter to get people excited about it. And it doesn't have to be like the most detailed, incredible art. It has to just be like art that is interesting and fits with the style of the game. And I don't think we hit it with Total Recall. And part of it goes back to those dates. We got to get this done by this date. And so we didn't have time to meet those dates to, like, get revisions on the art and really kind of say how the art should be. So we should have said, like, we need to go back to the license and try to revise the contract and change these dates so that we have enough time to, like, make the art perfect and then also spend more time building up anticipation for it.
0: Brian, you're doing a great job of not displacing the blame. I have another follow-up question then. What do you do for your pre-release games? If you need a minor print run, where do you go and how do you do that? Do you use GameIcons.net like so many other people do to get just staple art to use them? What is the system behind the scenes of your test building? Sure. Games? So
2: these are like prototypes, like that that we would do for like uh, yeah designs. Yeah. So oh, so many good resources. Um, I would say the the one I I find myself using the most is called the Noun Project. To get icons for games.
0: Whoa, whoa, let me write this down. Slow down. The noun, as in person, place, yeah, thing. yep, The noun project. The noun project. Yep, go there. All right, check it um, com? Yeah, Googling. I'm go- checking Googling, it out right now. As yeah, we talk. Googling the noun project, you'll find it. The noun project. Ba-da-da-da. I like it. Oh, yep, nounproject.com, icons for everything. Nice. Cool, thanks for the resource. We usually use game icons. That's good, too. It's game dash icons on it. it Th- is the for- noun project, you nice. type in a
2: noun, you know, sailor, you know, and then it will bring up icons for sailors. And then you can use those for free if you just give the artist a credit in your rules for most things. If it's something you're going to actually sell, like commercially Uh, and each icon, each icon is different and they explain exactly how you can use it, like in very clear language, like as you're getting
0: it. Right. Different licenses for different icons. Yeah,
2: but you might have to pay a very, very, very small fee to use something, use an icon in a commercial game. But we usually use them just for prototypes. We will credit the artist in our our rules that we, you know, have and like, if we do a print and play, then we'll just have those credits like right in the print and play. Uh, And and those work just super well until the actual graphic designer creates the icons for the final game. That's usually kind of how we do
0: it. Of course, placeholders. I started playing around
2: with um, Component Studio for the Game Crafter too. Have you used them at all?
0: For times. What are you? The Game Crafter? <laughs> you, you, shall, you know this. Here we go. <laughs> Sponsors, yay! Thank you for sponsoring us. Send us free stuff or money, and we'll talk about your stuff, but only if we like it. Ha, ha, ha! Yeah, thegamecrafter.com, that's where we do our playtesting, and that's how we get our cards. And the cool thing with the Game Crafter that I'm not sure if you do, is that if someone emails us and says, hey, I'd really like to be a play tester for such and such a game, it's really easy for us just to take their address, plug it into our account in Gamecrafter, and just click send. Do you use Component Studio, though? I don't use Component Studio. School me on Component Studio. So it's Studio. something that the, the Game Crafter created.
2: It's another like web tool that goes hand-in-hand with the Game Crafter but it lets you create your own prototypes in it. So you might say, you say like how many cards you're going to have in the game and then like uh, where each icon is going to go. You're going to have like a an attack in the bottom left corner and defense in the bottom right corner. And then you have like a spreadsheet of the values that would go in there. What? And then you just kind of lay out your cards with it instead of using something like Photoshop or Brian, how are Brian, you...
0: Brian, Brian. Are you telling me I've been wasting my damn time even today? I'm working on my game Fairy Trail Betrayal, and I have to go into every single card and I'm changing each icon and each yeah. value individually, yeah. then saving it. And you're telling me if I use this component studio within Gamecrafter, I wouldn't have to do that? You wouldn't. You wouldn't. Damn it!
2: But yeah, I think it, it seems cool.
0: It makes sense because the amount of time that I would spend probably learning it. In the end, would save me so much more time. I'm definitely gonna have to check this out. Hey, man! Thanks for being a shill for our sponsor spot. I really appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man! So, what's on the horizon then? Because you've just shared all the valuable lessons that you've learned from Total Recall. What's on the horizon for you?
2: So, we have an expansion to New Salem coming. So that's called the Constable. What? So New Salem came out. Two over two years ago, and it sold out pretty quickly. It sold out well in about a year.
0: You know why it sold out, Brian? <laughs> you know why it sold out? Why? Because it's way better than Seven Wonders. <laughs> That's why it sold out. But go yeah, on. Yeah,
2: it's. I mean, it was popular, and we have like a cult following for it. So, do we do a new print run? And I'm sure you've run into this question before too. How much demand is there for the game? And do we do an expansion? You know, for it too. So there were 3,000 copies in the first print run that sold out. Is an expansion for this game and a second edition for it shiny enough for people to want it? So we're really not sure. What we are sure about is that this is our favorite game that Clayton and I have ever designed, and we are more passionate about it than any other game, even Good Cop, Bad Cop.
0: Brian, let me tell you, I thoroughly believe New Salem is one of the best drafting games there are. And it's so simple to teach, it doesn't collect dust because of its ease of accessibility. And one of the things I love doing is shitting on Seven Wonders, and maybe I should do it a little bit less. But I've gotten emails encouraging me to do so. So since then, I've been, I guess, talking about it. But here's the thing. Seven Wonders, I've never lost a game of Seven Wonders. That's the thing. I've played it three times. I won every single game. I have no idea how <laughs> we're with New Salem as you're drafting these cards, you see right there and then as the game's transforming and you're never taking a card thinking, I, I, I don't know what the hell this does. It's very direct. It's deeper and richer than Sushi Go because Sushi Go is like the de facto entry level drafting game. I don't know why I'm blowing so much smoke <laughs> up New Salem's ass for you, but I thoroughly believe I'm just encouraging you that you can totally release a second edition expansion, it will still turn out results because I think it will be around longer than you.
2: I hope so. And, and Seven Wonders was a big inspiration for it. But that barrier of entry for learning the game and understanding it as you go was so high for that game. And I just didn't understand why. But the game was still so popular that we did want to make something that was easier to learn, but still gets you a lot of that drafting mechanic.
0: It's it's not even easier to learn. It's easier to understand the scoring because seven wonders, yeah. you have a freaking algorithm sheet that you have to follow at the end. So it's basically, all right, everyone's done. Give me 10 minutes to fill this out. And we're going to do some math here. We're with new Salem, you know, right away, like, Oh, which is one so much better. But, so but the,
2: the drafting, the drafting part about like that about seven wonders though, that is beautiful because You have a huge table. You have seven people sitting around the table playing the game at the same time. Nobody is waiting for their turn. Everybody is making interesting decisions as they're drafting the cards. And that is something that it's hard to find in a game, a six-player game, a four-player game. A lot of times you're just sitting there waiting for your turn. But you can have, with drafting, you can have a huge number of players sitting there all playing and enjoying the game rather than waving. And that's what's so beautiful about it. that's That's drafting. And that's why we love it so
0: much. I appreciate that you're defending Seven Wonders and how it's definitely forged a way for drafting to become more popular within our industry. I get that. I get that. Brian, I think I'll do you a solid, sir, and I'll do the elevator pitch for New Salem since I'm obviously a fan of this game so that the knaves, knights, and nobles alike will understand basically New Salem. But in order to do that, I need a character.
2: Do you want to be a witch?
0: I mean, I could be a witch. It's going to be ridiculous. But yeah, I'll do a witch. Uh, You ready for this? And then you can totally correct me if I slaughter this. Okay. You ready, sir? Yeah. Ding me, SBJ!
1: <laughs> double Double, Toil in trouble! Allow me, a witch, to give you a tour of the town of New Salem! It's a hidden identity, drafting, deduction, and set collection game! <laughs> Well, my pretties, players need to keep the witches at bay and draft specific types of buildings, while witches add pestilence to the new town without detection. This is known as despair! To represent it, it's black cubes! It's so devious! the righteous players can keep despair at a minimum. The players who score the most victory points will win, but only if there isn't too much despair. Do you draft a building to complete a set and give you more points at the risk of creating more despair? How? Or are you a witch playing like an innocent townsperson who by chance accidentally included more despair? Well, at the end of the game, the witch with the most evil will (laughs) win! It's much better than Seven Wonders! I'm zooming around on my broom, bitches! <laughs> I'm gonna get you and your little dog too do another cliche witch things! Happy Halloween! Whoa, black cats!
2: <laughs> oh man, that is beautiful. That is perfect!
0: Yeah. So basically, from my understanding is you got to go ahead and draft. And the big part of drafting that I love, you want to prevent the player that you're passing the cards to from getting the cards that will help them. Yeah. But that's not necessarily a problem in New Salem as long as you trust the player next to you as not being a witch. Yeah, and so that's the best part. Yeah,
2: so this is the Salem witch trials. Like it's set in during the Salem witch trials, and actually you were in Salem and then you were sick of all the people getting burned at the stake and drowned and stuff. So you build a new town called New Salem. And so your group is kind of the founding group and you're hoping that no witches are in that founding group, but we all know that there probably are, maybe multiple witches. But throughout the whole game, like the drafting, we use drafting to help you gather clues about who the witches are because you know which cards you pass to the player on your left and then you get to see what they played. So you know what they had available to play and they made decisions about what they actually played, you know, and so you know like, Why would you play that despair building when I gave you some hope buildings you could have played? And the answer, it could be that they just wanted the points because you get points for building certain building types. And so I don't know what they get. That's part of their hidden character role. So I don't know which buildings they get points for playing. But I do know how much despair they're putting in. And so you don't know for sure, but you get these clues that make you think like the person to your left might be a witch. And then you see what the people to your right are passing you as well. And so you know what they played and what they passed to you to not play. So more clues. So the drafting really helps build up kind of a case for or against someone being a witch. But you never really know. So you really just kind of have to accuse without having 100% of the, the evidence.
0: These conversations happen all the time in New Salem. Stop passing Doug any despair cards, because if you pass him a building that has some despair on it, he's gonna play it because he's obviously a witch. And also these conversations like, hey man, I don't care how many points you're trying to get, but we can't afford any more buildings with despair, otherwise the game's over unless you're a witch. And that's one of the beautiful things is that balance, because even if you're good, and you're not a witch, you got to play some of these cards that can add to some despair in the town. So I definitely am biased, obviously towards New Salem. Can I ask you the differences that the constable is going
1: to bring? Yeah.
2: So the constable now available on
1: Kickstarter
2: the constable. So one person starts out as the constable and then they get to choose which event gets played. As soon as they play an event, then they choose who the next constable is. They choose their successor, but they won't have enough hope Probably to play the event that they want to play. So they have to get the hope from other players. So they can't give away hope, they can only receive it. Players kind of give hope to the people they trust the constables they trust the most. And then that constable makes a decision on which event to play and then they choose who goes next and so people who gave them hope
0: is it possible to just go back and forth being constable like if you and I are playing yeah. with four other people yeah. can i make you the constable then you make me and it goes back and forth or is there anything preventing
2: no, there is us from doing that When you become constable, you get a badge. And so now you've been constable and you keep that even when you choose your successor and someone else becomes constable. So now if there's a, say a five player game and you and I have already been constable. Now, if I'm currently constable, I choose from one of the three other people to become constable. So even the person who you're like almost sure is a witch is going to get to be constable if you don't put them on trial before they're the only option left to become constable. So you can't be constable if you have a badge or if you're on trial already. So that's the thing that we're most excited about, and it, like, it, it makes it better. It makes it more fun. It, it makes it it's, – it's just so much better. We love it.
0: Brian, so I'm excited about the Constable. You know that you'll have a backer in me. In fact, that's one of the best ways to support this podcast if you're listening at home. Not only give us a review on iTunes, but support – our nobles, the individuals that come on here and when they tell you about an exciting game, please do your best and check out the Kickstarter. So when is this Kickstarter hitting, Brian?
1: It'd be available right
2: now, yeah. It is. It is. It's going to end on uh, Halloween, so. That is perfect. And we love kind of like having fun on the campaign and like we could have made a game, you know, for like this next license that I, I talked about, like a brand new game or an expansion to Good Cop, Bad Cop. But we decided... I don't know if this is going to make the most money for us or anything like that, but this is the game that Clayton and I care the most about. We have the most passion about it. So after a failed campaign, we felt we had to like just get back to our roots and why we kind of started doing this in the first place. And that's what New Salem is for us. It's the game we care the most about.
0: Here's something pretty nerdy. What you just described is almost a meta explanation of New Salem in and of itself. Because you want the game to be pure and have as much hope as possible. But to make money, there's the temptation of getting a license for it. But then that adds the despair, the corruption, if you will. So you decided no witches in this one. New Salem is just going to be pure overworld games, pure. Brian and Clayton, we're not going to go ahead and pander to some license. I love it, and it deserves it because this game stands the test of time and hits the table again and again. Yeah. Now, I know that you're part of a podcast as well. What's that?
2: That's true the uh, the board game business podcast. So I think this has been a little bit drier, possibly, of subject material about how you create games and some of the some of the business side behind it. But if you like that, you can come check out our our podcast, the board game business podcast with, uh, you're Richard. trying to poach
0: our listeners. yo, You <laughs> son of a bitch. But if you'd rather, <laughs> we're not
2: nearly as entertaining as Alan. So, uh, if you, if oh, you would rather be stomping. entertained, then stick with this one. But if you really want to get into the nuts and bolts of making games, come check it out.
0: What's the best way to find that podcast
2: Boardgame.business dot business is the URL. So it's a dot business. And it's not a.com. It's not a.net. It's dot business. Board game fascinating
0: options. and i'm sure that's on itunes soundcloud and sure. all the other providers most definitely very cool and what about you yourself oh you can find
2: overworld games or brian hank on twitter and instagram and all that stuff so oh yeah instagram you're on instagram now that's awesome i love the updates that you send like for kickstarter campaigns and like this podcast is hilarious, so I'm just happy that like more people get to experience Tuesday Night Games on Instagram now, too.
0: Yeah, the truth behind that is that I feel a little old when it comes to social media. So we finally indoctrinated someone to help us out, and we have Elijah Longwell doing social media. So when you see Tuesday Night Games posting and responding, it isn't me, and it's not even Sean. It's Elijah. He is the voice of... Tuesday Night Games social media, so that's pretty cool. Speaking of which, if you want to follow us on Twitter, at PlayTKG, and I think that's also true for all the other mediums of social media, and if you want to become a knight, send in your knave to Submission or any questions, concerns, comments, we'd love to hear them and respond to them. That's podcast at TuesdayNightGames.com. And I think with that being said, Brian, this episode is...
1: finish <laughs>
0: that's pretty good that's pretty good <laughs>